please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to be reading the first six verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. You've got a blue pew Bible there that you can follow along with. You can just look to the table of contents and find 2 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the first six verses. And although these verses are in English, they are faithfully translated, and this is the Word of God. 2 Corinthians 10, beginning in verse 1. I Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, We are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word now. Would you pray with me? Holy God, we praise and thank you for your word. It is then your special revelation to us. It is a gift that we do not deserve. But, oh, Lord, we thank you that you have not remained silent, but that you have spoken to us, and we can trust what you have said, that you have given your word, it is inerrant, it is true, it is faithful, and we can bank our whole lives upon it. We thank you, Holy Father, that you have given even your own Son, Jesus Christ, the incarnate word, who is then our hope and our life and our guide, who is indeed our Savior from sin, who is our deliverer even from the wrath to come. We thank you for your Spirit that illumines our understanding of your Word, and we pray today, through this service, through the preaching of the Word, your Spirit would come and open our eyes, even the eyes of our hearts, the eyes of our understanding, so that even maybe even for the first time, we would see and believe. Help us. We need this help from you, so we ask you to do it. Father, we thank you for the gift of life in this church. We thank you for newborn babies, for small children, for growing children, even for adult children. We thank you for the resuming of Sunday school here this morning. We pray for the children as they are taught your word. We pray that that word would be implanted in their souls, for it is by your word, even the word of the gospel, that they can be saved. So we pray for that ministry to the children. 
Lord, there are many here who are struggling this morning, who are struggling in their marriages, struggling at their workplace, struggling with their relatives, struggling even to make sense of what is going on in the world. We pray that through all of that confusion, you would bring great clarity to these people, that they would also have great comfort, comfort and clarity. Lord, we pray that there would then be a sense of peace for people can trust you. And I pray that for many who are struggling this morning, they would have a sense of reliance upon you and you being their security. Father, we do pray for our province. We pray for the advance of the gospel in this place. We pray for churches in Edmonton and Calgary and Red Deer and Lethbridge and all the many centers around in rural Alberta and throughout. Lord, we ask for revival in Alberta. We pray that there would be a great turning to you, a turning in repentance, uh, uh, where people who thought that they didn't need church, didn't need the gospel, didn't need Jesus, that they would suddenly be confronted in their conscience and cry out, what must I do to be saved? Lord, we pray that that would be a work in this province and that you would be preparing the churches even now for a massive influx of many people with that inquiry. And we pray that churches would be faithful in preaching the gospel. Lord, as we are here gathered to hear your word, we ask that you would meet us, that you as King of kings and Lord of lords would come by your ruling power and that your sovereign lordship would be pressed upon us and we would see that in that pressing there is liberation and that we would enjoy even the freedom of the children of God. So we pray that you would meet us now and glorify your own name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it's wonderful to see you all here. It's great to be back in this kind of fall session with Sunday school and everything starting up. And as we read in 2 Corinthians, we read from a passage that is a, a churchy passage. It's, a, it's dealing with a local church and the problems of a local church. And Paul is addressing a local church and even how they relate to him and his ministry. And it's interesting that Paul engages with this local church by invoking the meekness and gentleness of Christ. That's how he starts off in chapter 10, speaking of the meekness and gentleness of Christ. But then he gets into what I wanted to address this morning, he gets into the fact that there is a war. And the war must be fought. So he starts off with the, the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Never forget that. And yet a war must be fought. Now, conflict has marked the 21st century. Conflict is everywhere. There is a conflict of opinions. 
There's a conflict of platforms. There's a conflict going on in many marriages, in families, in friendships, in cities, in provinces, in nations. At multiple layers, there are conflicts. Right? Or is it all peachy where you come from? Everything's just running swimmingly. Oh, yeah. I know what's going on in your families. I know what's going on all around. I know what's going on in my family. There are different opinions. It seems the further you get out into your extended family, the more diverse the opinions are and the stronger they are. But in this conflict, these conflicts, these layers of conflict, in this conflict, believers in Jesus Christ are reminded that regarding our Savior, our Savior said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. That's a truth, John 15, 18. Or Jesus could go on to say that indeed the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And in Matthew 10, Jesus said, Do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household, Matthew 10, 34-36. And is that not the case? Have you not experienced that? Nobody likes conflict. No, nobody likes conflict. And anybody who thinks that they do, and they thrive in conflict, then they've got other problems. Okay. If you're that person, talk to me after. Conflict is a fact of life. And for the Christian believer, though, we are swept up into a larger conflict, a cosmic battle, a galactic struggle, if you will, which we could call the holy war. And it's not a jihad. It is the conflict where the kingdom of light breaks open and breaks through and breaks down the kingdom of darkness. That is the conflict. It is a conflict as old as the Garden of Eden. It is a conflict that ends when the seed of the woman crushes the serpent and casts him into the lake of fire, which is the second death. That is the conflict. Now, in this series of sermons that I'm going to preach over, over the next two months, we're going to look at various aspects of this conflict. We're going to look at selected scriptures, so this won't be us going through one book of the Bible. But we'll, they'll be expository, but we'll go through different texts. But this morning, what I want to do first, very practically, is to look at how the Christian believer is to engage in this holy war. How do we do this? What are the weapons of our warfare? That's what we're going to consider. We'll see first our warfare, not theirs, our warfare. Then we will look at 
our weapons, not theirs, and ultimately we will look at His will, not ours. So that's where we're going this morning. And, you know, lest you worry, you might be thinking, oh, well, this is just going to be a series about let, how can we be aggressive in the culture war? Because maybe that's what you're thinking, and maybe that's what you're hoping, I don't know. But you're mistaken. Instead, it is to have placed in the front of our eyes, as Paul did, remarkably, at the beginning of chapter 10, it is to place before us the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And when you are focused on Christ in that way, then you know what battle you are fighting. Then you are clear about what are the terms, who is the enemy, what are you doing, what weapons you employ. And if you do not focus on the meekness and gentleness of Christ, you will be fighting a different battle and you will be in the wrong war. But this is how we enter into the conflict. By looking to the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Because the meekness and gentleness of Christ, the the lamb standing as if slain, the suffering servant, he is the same Christ who will return with a sword out of his mouth to judge the living and the dead causing every knee to bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, all to the glory of His royal Father. That is the same Christ, and we cannot split Him. We cannot break Him apart. So the first thing to see then in our passage is to consider, and I'm going to zero in on verse 4, to to see what this warfare actually is. What is it? You know, there's an axiom, uh, it's, you know, one of those old sayings, uh, that old, old generals, old generals are always fighting the last war. Old generals are always fighting the last war. And I think Christians can be that way too. That, that Christians, we can, we can think that the, that, the, that the fight that we're in, that the struggle that we're in, that the warfare that we're in is the old war, not the present one. We're fighting the old war. Well, what is the old war? What is the old war as we consider the weapons of our warfare? The old war is the war of power. It's the war of power. It's it's myself against yourself. It's... It's my, my personality against yours. You know, it, it's my will versus your will in a battle of wills. That's the old war. This, of course, was the war begun with the Garden of Eden. Satan is the serpent attacking God to gain power. And he attacks God by attacking what belonged to God, namely man. And he attacks man by attacking God's good gift to man, namely woman. It's all about power, status, control. So when we talk about our warfare in 2 Corinthians 10.4, we have to understand that our warfare is not this old war. The old war is survivalistic. Anything goes. 
Now, the Old Testament is full of this kind of thing. You can turn with me and just look at Genesis chapter 4, or you can just listen along. You remember the story? Genesis chapter 4, Cain kills Abel. Why? Because his pride is injured. It's, It's this war for power and pride and control and status. And even though the true, con- the true conflict was pointed out by God, he, he actually says that sin's desire is for you. You must rule over it. The conflict, even then, God's saying the conflict wasn't supposed to be with his brother, but with his sin. He's not supposed to fight his brother. He's supposed to fight what's going on inside of him. And so Cain chooses not to fight that fight against his sin, and instead he takes it out on his brother. And so he murders Abel. Then later in Genesis 4, verse 23, Cain's descendant, Lamech, Lamech says, I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is seven sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. Do you, do you see what's happening there? Do you see how Lamech's taking this? It's the idea that many of you employ. You employ it in your marriages. You employ it at your workplace. You employ it online. Yes. It's hurt them before they hurt you. Hurt them before they hurt you. Hurt them worse so they never hurt you again. That's the old war that people are fighting. And and that may be, I'm guessing, that may be how you have been conducting the conflict in your life. Strike so as not to be stricken. It happens in the church. Where do church fights come from? People striking so as not to be stricken. People wagging the finger at someone else so that no one is looking at their life. Paul makes it clear that when a person believes in Jesus Christ, this is not the same warfare they are conducting. Look at 2 Corinthians 10, look at verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. This is key. This is what we zero in on. Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Now, what does he mean by the flesh? This term, the flesh, it's actually a pretty significant special term that Paul uses. It's the word sarks in Greek. This is an important term for Bible readers to understand. We all need to kind of get a grasp on this. The flesh is not merely your skin with its cells and its pigment. That's not what it is. The flesh is better to be understood as a principle or even a law. Or if I could use a computer analogy, and I'm not a great computer guy, so this, is, this might be dicey. It's an operating system of life. It's an operating system. But for the Christian, 
The flesh is the operating system of the old life. It's the life of sin. The life that is fallen. The life that is under the curse of God. The life that is bent on self-centeredness. The life that always is fighting the last war. Always fighting the old war in the old ways. The flesh is maybe more like malware that affects a whole system and corrupts it. That's the extent of my computer analogy. I can't go very far on that one. I use the term malware. I hardly know what that is. Paul is saying, though, to be clear, that he is not waging war according to the flesh. He is not fighting that last war, that old war in its old way. It's true. Yes, Paul was still a sinner. He was still a sinner. Paul died. No, he he did die because the wages of sin is death. But Paul knew that he did not belong to the old fallen world anymore. He no longer had his life run by the flesh operating system. Instead, he belonged to Christ, and his life was run by the new operating spirit, the operating system of the spirit. That's what was running him. So it's new, a new system. You clean out the old and you've got a new system. So Paul's warfare then was not according to the flesh. Are you starting to see? He belongs to a different category. He's not going to the old categories, the old ways of doing things, the old ways of fighting. So no longer for Paul. It's not a battle of wills. It's not a power play. It's not physical violence anymore. Now, you remember about Paul? You remember his story? Paul used to be called Saul. You guys know that? If you don't know that, that's, you know, that's why you go to Sunday school. Learn learn about Saul. So in Acts chapter 7, you can flip back there, Acts chapter 7. At the end, it's, it's all about this, this remarkable young man named Stephen. And Stephen is bearing testimony to Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 7, when, when Stephen gives this great speech in front of all of the Jewish leaders, Saul participates in the murder of godly Stephen. Right at the end, he participates that. And you know how these guys are described, thinking about the difference here? They were described as those who were enraged, and they ground their teeth at Stephen. This is anger, the anger of the warfare of the old age. Paul, Paul participated in that. They said in verse 58, they laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, verse 59 of Acts 7, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And then you see in chapter 8, the first line says, and Saul approved of his execution. And there arose that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. 
and goes on to describe all of that. Verse 3, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committing them to prison. Paul, in his old life, is said to have ravaged the church. This word is not merely a harassment, but it is as the word implies. It is a wicked defiling of the church in his arresting of Christians. Now, in that, in what Saul was doing, you could not get a clearer example of this other kind of warfare than what Saul did. Saul fought the old war with the old flesh warfare in the cause of what he thought was a holy war. You know, and in that sense, Saul's warfare, although Jewish, was imitated later on by Muslims in Muhammad's call to jihad. You know, they came much later. But they actually are imitating this, these characteristics that Saul had in terms of his zealotry and even employing physical violence. But then Acts chapter 9 is the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. And the conversion of Saul in Acts 9 meant that whatever battles were to be fought, they would then not be fought anymore according to the flesh. He would no longer fight the old war. And it was such a dramatic change that in Acts chapter 9 and verse 21, people said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon Jesus' name? Isn't this the same guy? Because we know how he fights. He fights dirty. But he doesn't fight that way anymore. And so this is a question then. We can look at history and see Paul's life, but what about you? Just think about yourself, and this is what it's got to keep coming back to. Which war are you fighting? Who are you fighting? You know, are, are you fighting for territory in your marriage? Are, are you fighting for status among your friends? Fighting for honor and respect? from your siblings, or from your parents, or from your in-laws, from your cousins. Maybe you're looking for honor and respect, and you're fighting for that online. You're not respecting my opinions online. How dare you? Seems almost silly to say, doesn't it? Of course, nobody respects anybody's opinion online. And yet we strive, and we get anxious and angry about it, and we get on the fight. Maybe you don't get on the fight. Maybe you just post, you know, butterflies and birds and cat pictures. I don't know. My guess is you've been fighting. We can fight for power in the workplace. Are you a power player? Are you, are you maneuvering at work as a power player? Or maybe you're just thinking that in society. I've mentioned how I, hopefully I don't get a phone call while I'm preaching. I'm getting certain candidates keep calling me and irritating me, wanting me to vote for them in a, for a certain political party. I would like them to stop. But is that what I want to focus on? Is the power at play in a political party in society? 
I want to participate, yeah, but is that my focus? Is, is that where the power is? If you fight according to the flesh, you are fighting the old war, and you are fighting the wrong war, and you will lose. You see, among men, we say it, don't we? It's dog eat dog. Among women, it's catty and cruel. And you know, the social media is not the problem, actually. It's merely an accelerant to the problem. Yes, it's designed to accelerate what's already there. You know, Churchill said famously, I don't know how much he believed it, but the heart of the human problem, of course, is the problem of the human heart. So Christian, if you're a Christian believer today, you need to listen to Paul. Our warfare is not theirs. We are not waging war according to the flesh. But secondly, our weapons are not theirs either. Look then at verse 4 of 2 Corinthians 10. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So, so first again, we've got to just clarify the weapons that we employ are not of the flesh. This is because we're not fighting the last war, the old war. Our weapons are not theirs. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I know we're jumping around, but it's, uh, it's September. Everybody's back in church. Let's go to work. Romans chapter 8. You know the chapter begins with that lovely, amazing, wonderful, encouraging verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that's the key foundational statement. Then the rest of Romans 8 talks about the dynamics of the Spirit at work in the believer. And so Paul can say then, going down to verse 12, So then, brothers... We are, not, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, what? You will die. But notice this, you're not going to live by the flesh. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will what? You will live. So did you catch what's going on there? The weapons of our warfare are really a single weapon. He is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. By the Spirit, we actually kill, kill the old flesh principle. By the Spirit, we fight the new war within ourselves, inside. By the Spirit, we can chop away all of the 
old fleshly habits, all the old instincts, all the old patterns, all the old responses, all the old impulses, all the old reactions, all the old manipulations, we can cut them all, chop them down. You see, every one of us here, we can deceive ourselves into thinking, well, all that stuff, well, that's just me. That, that's just me. That's how I respond. That, that's how I act. But you have to realize that you have the Spirit, and the Spirit is the weapon that can remove all of those bad habits, all of those bad characteristics, all of those bad instincts and responses and so forth. The Spirit can do that. It is that power, the Spirit is that powerful. And so the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but of the Spirit. So Paul can say back in Romans 8, back up in verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Isn't that how we we naturally operate when we're in the flesh? When we're we're walking in the flesh, we're we're walking in fear. Remember this bull rider, He's a buddy of mine, and he was telling me, like, he was quite a fighter. He'd get into fights, and he'd fight like a madman. And, and he said, well, the reason was, is because he was so afraid. He was so afraid of getting beat up. And out of fear, that's why he would fight. And that's how many of you fight in your marriage. Or you fight in your extended family. Or you fight in your workplace. Or you fight online. You fight because you're afraid. You're afraid, and you're actually falling back into fear. And when we do that, then we forget. We forget, verse 15b of Romans 8, we forget that you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may be glorified with Him. You see, then if you've got that privilege, the privilege of adoption into a royal family, that elevation then we have different weapons. The weapons belonging to the Spirit, not the flesh. The weapons that belong to the Spirit Himself. Those are the weapons we have. You know, in Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan, he describes the armory in the Palace Beautiful. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you've got to read Pilgrim's Progress this fall. Have it done by the end of October. Um, but he's given, he's this pilgrim, and he's given all of this, these weapons for his journey that he's going to need. And it's, of course, pictured beautifully, but where do we find that biblical armory in the Bible? Where do we go? Well, you go to Ephesians chapter 6. Many of you already 
shouting it out. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10 and following. I'm just going to read verse 10 through 20, but this is, a, this is a portion of Scripture that you should know so that you know where are your weapons. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, it says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That's the old war. That's old warfare. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In other words, it is a spiritual battle. Then he concludes, verse 13, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Notice verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words would be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now let me ask the question. Do we fight the old war? And everybody should now be able to say no. And in the language of verse 12 of Ephesians 6, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. What are the weapons of our warfare? Well, of course, there's a list of the whole armor. All of this equipment is in the gospel, but especially there is the sword of the Spirit, mentioned explicitly, it's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Bible. The Bible as a whole is to be taken up. You can't take bits and pieces and neglect other parts. And otherwise, you just have this shattered pieces of a sword. You don't have a single instrument, a whole, strong, sharp sword. So, for example, if in the Bible, you're looking in the Bible, you, you, can't, you can't highlight the destruction of the beast in, in Revelation without also recognizing that Jesus has called us to love our enemies in the meantime. You, want, you, you can't just be fascinated by the one and ignore the other. Nor can you say, well, I've got to love my enemies, love my neighbor, and ignore the fact that the beast will be destroyed. I'm going to look at some of these biblical pieces in turn in this series, but you, you can't ignore one truth in favor of others. 
It's the whole Bible. And this is some of the struggles we've gone through in the last couple of years, is trying to reckon with the whole Bible. And that's why it's a challenge. That's why it's, it's a bit of work. That's why it's a bit of even a warfare. But see, friends, it's not enough to call Christians to be awakened to the war that's going on in our culture. And there is a culture war. And, and, I, and we, need to, we need to be clear about what a culture war is and what it isn't. But more than that, Christians need to be clear about the war that we are fighting. What are the weapons of our warfare? What are we employed in? We take up the sword of the Spirit. But the thing is that Ephesians 6 does something else. Because it highlights another weapon, doesn't it? Of all the weapons, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is highlighted. But the other one kind of has pride of place by being at the end. And it is the weapon that is taken up seldom. It is the most underused weapon of all. What is it? Prayer. It's underused. Verse 18, again, Ephesians 6, praying at all times. How? In the flesh? No, in the Spirit. And that's the contrast. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Now, if you know me, I'm, I'm deeply concerned with what the government's doing, corporations, what's going on in society, all of that stuff. And I can get bent out of shape just like anybody about these things. But the thing that I've got to ask myself is, am I praying to the degree that I'm concerned? Are you? Like, like are you, am I, are we praying, if it's, if it's that big of a deal, if it's that concerning, if it's that troubling, am I praying that is matching and resonant with how concerning that is? Or is it, oh no, I'm just going to bellyache about a lot of stuff and I'm not even going to pray about it. That's how important I think it is. Or is it, yeah, I think this stuff is really bad and it's really important, but I don't think God's very important, so I'm not even going to ask Him to do anything. And that's where then our faith, the, how, how mature we think we are, it gets exposed. It gets exposed that we're actually quite unbelieving. Our faith is rather small. Because then we think, oh, well, all these problems, all this that's going on, oh, well, I've, I've got I've to get mobilized and get going and do something about that. But I wouldn't be mobilized to pray. And again, I'm telling you, I think this applies to every person in here, but it applies to me first. But people are so hurt or so angry or so frustrated at what's happening in, this, in society do they put energy then into possessing power or into powerful prayer? I, I believe we should be involved more in civics and politics and social engagement. I do. But not if we aren't first going to overwhelmingly give ourselves to prayer. Praying at all times in the Spirit. Why in the Spirit? Because that's where the battle is fought. 
the new battle, the battle for souls, the, the battle for the advance of the gospel, the, the battle to see supernatural changes in the hearts of people. In the last two weeks, this is just the last two weeks, I have seen, <clears throat> I have seen many logically hopeless situations, logically hopeless, be turned to hopeful ones. And, and you know what? The change has not come by any fleshly means. There's no strategy, there's no plan, there's no program, there's no mobilization that ever could have affected that change from hopeless to hopeful. The change can only be attributed to the work of God, the Holy Spirit. Only. And again, I can simply state that the level of our social and political and relational anxiety should be matched and exceeded by the level and participation of ourselves in prayer. And why don't I say it? That you should be at the prayer meeting. It's once a month. It's not a, again, it's not a guilt trip. It's just like, what am, what am I about? And the fact that the prayer meetings across Canada are not full in all the churches in Canada. They are not full. That indicates to me that all the Christians who are calling for political action but are not calling to go to the prayer meeting first, that they're actually quite unserious. What do the kids say? They're LARPing. Live action role play. They're just playing games. They're playing games. They're putting on a show. Oh, yeah, rah, rah, yeah, let's get going, let's do stuff. Okay, fine. I haven't heard any calls for mass prayer meetings. I haven't called for days of fasting and repentance and prayer. So, okay, yeah, let's, let's do some stuff. But it's not really serious. You know, Sinclair Ferguson said, he said a few times, I've heard him say a few times, he was always amazed at what the North American churches could accomplish without prayer. It wasn't a compliment. And that's what we have a great threat of doing, is we can do all kinds of stuff. And I'm, all, I'm, I'm big on let's, let's do stuff. Let's try things. But we got to know what battle we're in first. What's the fight that we're in? Not fighting the old war. We've got to fight this war, and we've got to get on our knees. We've got to pray. We've got to pray to pray. Pray that the Lord would help us. But at the second part then of this headline verse, we can see that relying upon the weapons of our warfare, namely the work of the Spirit, through the word and prayer, when you do that, there is a powerful result. Because Paul says back in our main text in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. How do, you, uh, how do you describe someone that you know who won't open up, who won't be friendly, who's, device, who's, def, uh, who's defensive, I should say, who's defensive? How, how do you describe them? You'll, you'll say, their walls are up. Their walls are up. 
That's how we generally, it's one of the ways we describe them. Uh, and we can apply this to people and their interest in learning about the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, are some, some people, when they hear that Jesus lived and died and rose from the dead to pay the penalty for sins of all those who believe in them, when they, they hear that, oh, they bring the walls up. They've got their walls up. They're, they're resistant to let that news in. They change the subject. They raise objections. They dismiss. They distract. They ignore. Walls up. But the weapons of our warfare have divine power to destroy strongholds. Now think of it for a minute. God has the ability to break through the strongholds of resistance, to break through the strongholds of stubbornness, to break through the strongholds of self-deception, to break through the strongholds of depravity, of rebellion. God can destroy those strongholds. And you know what happens when the strongholds are broken? A person then is vulnerable. And they are vulnerable to the Lord of heaven's armies. Josh quoted it in Isaiah. The Lord of hosts. That's what that means. Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of heaven's armies. And you're, when your strongholds are broken down, you then are vulnerable. And then that person who is then with no strongholds left, then you know what they do? They melt in surrender. They give up. They give in. They say, I surrender all. I surrender all. Lloyd-Jones made this point. He said, it is God dealing with you. He's dealing with you. So that then you, you are aware of it more than, it, than it's anything you actually do. He deals with you. And you're like, yeah, he's dealing with me. My strongholds are breaking down. I just feel very vulnerable. He's dealing with me. Just before I became a Christian in 1992, I couldn't get rid of my deep, deep sense of guilt. And, and there was no way for me to purge it from this stronghold, the high walls that I had built around me. I couldn't get rid of it. There was no way for me to get the guilt out of those high walls. The guilt stayed in. It couldn't be taken away. That was until the sword of the Spirit, through the prayers of many in the Spirit, broke down my walls. And I had to surrender to God. And He took my guilt away. And He dumped it at Calvary. And Jesus dealt with it and died for it and rose again to give me the truce, to give me the pardon, and then to give me a future. And that's what he does when he saves somebody. And this is why then, thirdly, just briefly, you see from the text, Paul says, verse 5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion 
raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. To obey Christ is simply to mimic Christ's own obedience to His heavenly Father according to the flesh, according to His sinless incarnate human nature. So Jesus prayed famously, you know it, Matthew 6.10, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Or in Gethsemane, praying, Not my will, but yours be done, Luke 22.42. We want all of our thoughts, all of our ideas, all of our opinions captive to obey Christ so that the will of man is obedient to the will of God. So that the arguments and opinions of man are replaced by the logic and truth of God. See, such arguments, and we can, there's a lot of arrogant arguments going around. A lot of Christians with a lot of arrogance going on. These arguments and arrogance, they end up being against the knowledge of God. And you know what, though? They're to be destroyed by spiritual weapons. You know, Jesus did this. This, you know, best to illustrate by an example. The example of Peter. You know the story. Peter, Peter was so, so full of his own opinions about how all this kingdom business was supposed to play out, how this kingdom was supposed to advance, what the strategy was, how it's all going to be, how Jesus is going to play in to the kingdom strategy, getting rid of the Romans or whatever they were going to do, that, that when Jesus said that he was going to the cross, Peter said, no, 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 no. No, that's, that's not how this goes. You, you don't die a martyr's death. That's not how it goes. Peter, with his lofty opinion against the knowledge of God, and of course, Jesus, you know what he did? He spiritually destroyed Peter's argument. Jesus spiritually destroyed it, and he said, Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind on the thing, uh, you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And that's Thankfully, Jesus rebuked him and chopped that argument down. That was false. And this is why then in the ministry of the church, there is this element of confronting disobedience. That's what Paul alludes to in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and verse 6. Starting with the apostles' ministry like Paul's, even the ministry of the church involves correction and rebuke and discipline and even excommunication, along with all the positive elements of edifying and building up and strengthening and comforting and consoling and guiding and pointing and announcing and encouraging. So all of this is oriented then that all our thoughts, everything would be captive in complete obedience to the Lordship of Christ. And that is really the victory, the victory condition of our lives conforming our will to God's. That's it. Of course, in the meantime, we keep on fighting the good fight of faith, 2 Timothy 4. We keep on running the race to the finish line, Hebrews 12. We keep on seeking the things that are above, Colossians 3. We keep on keeping on. We keep on fighting. But we've got to make sure we're fighting the right fight. We may fall. We may stumble. We may even backslide. 
But we do not stop fighting this warfare. Now, I want to mention just very quickly three brief areas where this applies and how it confronts our current tendencies to fight the old war, and then we'll wrap up. The first is this, in your marriage. Many of you are married, most of you are. Your spouse, does it need to be said? Yeah, it does. Your spouse is not your enemy. Your spouse is not your enemy. Satan is your enemy. Satan is out to destroy your marriage. Your spouse is not your enemy. And even if your spouse acts like an enemy sometimes, which they will, then you're called to love your enemies. And that's where you have to be engaged in the right warfare. You need even to learn how to fight well, to fight Christianly in your marriage. To put to death your deeds of the flesh. How? By the Spirit. That's, you've got to be putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Your business in your marriage, you've got to be putting them to death by the Spirit. So that's your marriage. What about your nation? It's on my mind. It should be on yours, I'm sure. Socially, there are people who are opposed to you. But they are first of all opposed to God. They're God's enemy before they're yours. And so what are we supposed to do? Well, we're called to represent Him. And you know what He wants us to do as we represent Him? He wants us to offer His peace offer. He wants us to offer undeserved, they don't deserve it, undeserved mercy to enemies. They've lost the war. They're doomed. But God's offering them clemency. If they don't take it, they are going to be punished. Full stop. The wrath of God upon them. But if they do, then they are given the privileges of joining the Lamb's royal household, even being a co-heir with Christ. That's a great deal. So, when you think about our nation, are you representing this offer of clemency, even though there's a judgment to come? And third, I just encourage you, don't underestimate what happens like right here. What happens here? Right here, there is spiritual power at work. The Spirit is using His Word and prayer to wound and heal right here, right now. Matthew Henry said this, The preaching of the cross by men of faith and prayer has always been fatal to idolatry, impiety, and wickedness. I want to see idolatry, impiety, and wickedness, I want to see them wiped out. And so I need to pray more and use the Bible more. And then we need to trust the Spirit more to do that spiritual work. And so the most strategic thing you can do if you feel like you are losing the battle, and some weeks, some weekends, some Sundays, you might feel that way. The most strategic thing you can do is to come and hear the Word of God in the power of the Spirit preached as you pray with expectancy that God would wound you and heal you and give you hope. It's the best thing that you can do. And who knows 
even today, even this morning, who knows what God may do to you and among us today. Let's pray together. Holy God, we ask that you would come and meet us powerfully, deeply, even in ways we don't understand, and you would cause us to gaze upon the meekness and gentleness of Christ and realize that by trusting in him, we have all the resources we need. We pray that your spirit would fill us, that we would be, go from this place prepared to fight the good fight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand and respond with your war song, even as we praise God. I close with this exhortation, a benediction that's a doxology before the doxology in Jude. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Friends, we can look to this Christ. We don't have to fight these other wars. Let us fight the warfare that we are called to and trust Christ to provide us even with his own spirit to fight it in the way that we ought. Go in peace. You're dismissed.